I know a lot of you have had this experience because for those of us who in 2020 were all sent home and we were stuck in a lockdown during the pandemic, we had a lot of time on our hands and I saw an ad for Masterclass and I thought, I want to better myself. I want access to all of these brilliant people who teach you things. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Masterclass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with more than 200 plus of the world's best and smartest. For just under 10 bucks a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And I don't care, you can wake up one morning and say, I want to learn about business. And then another where you say, I want to learn how to survive in the wild if I have no water and no fire to make me warm. You can access Masterclass on your phone, on your computer, smart TV, or even in audio mode. And the classes totally make a difference. Don't wait another moment to start your learning journey with Masterclass. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Liz. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Liz. Masterclass.com slash Liz. everybody. Once again, so glad you're joining me. I just got an email about my podcast from a huge fan who says he listens to every single episode. It came from a guy named Aaron Hale. He is a friend of mine. He's a military veteran who served on what's called the EOD. This is a very exclusive group, the Explosive Ordnance Disposal Team. Basically, he was like the Hurt Locker guys. He he neutralized bombs. In 2011, while serving in Afghanistan, a hidden bomb exploded in his face. He was blinded and burned and later pretty much has lost his hearing. Nearly anyone who endured that kind of thing could be forgiven for crawling up in a ball and hiding from the world. But Aaron, who I adore, he started a fudge and chocolate company, which today is huge. It's called EOD, Extraordinary Delights. The classic American entrepreneur lives within each and every single one of us. And I've been so thrilled to tell you guys stories every day of people starting really amazing companies and fighting through very difficult and dark times to get to the mountaintop of success. Aaron, I know you're going to love this week's podcast guest. And, And Aaron, we need to get you on too, right? I mean, talk about inspirational, but... My guest today stirred up a bevolution, get it, beverage, in the basement of his New Jersey home and grew his drink made off cast off coffee bean parts. Okay, we're going to get into that in a minute, into a $1.7 billion brand. Today, he is disrupting the beverage industry and sharing how he did it so you can take some of what he's done and turn it into your own vision and reality. I'd like to welcome by founder and beverage innovator, Ben Weiss to everyone talks to list. I love by Ben. I'm so happy you're on. I, I know you do. Cause we had the privilege of talking uh, a few years back uh, when I was still with by you were tiny. So I'm glad to then. be here. Tiny. I was tiny. I actually grew up. I'm a little bit taller. <laughs> just a couple of inches taller. <laughs> you know, I remember you coming on the show years and years ago and then I want to say maybe nine months later, I saw Bai, B-A-I, I saw Bai on a shelf at Target. I photographed it 
and sent it to one of your investors. And I said, oh my gosh, he's he's in Target. This is fantastic. Um, But I want to rewind and get way back into the early days here. And and so- But I I like that you mentioned though that, Liz, because for us, it's the fight to get on the shelf at Target. And that's what the book is about. It's about that journey. Uh, And Target happened to have been a great retail partner of ours. So I'm glad you saw it there. Yeah, but there was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears uh, well before the Target shelf moment. Um, And that's what we kind of want to get into because I really kind of wanted this this podcast to be called No Excuses, but they're really tacky jeans called No Excuses already out there. But after hearing stories like yours and everybody we've had on, I want people to say, what's my excuse? I better get out there and do something and, and reach for my dream. But let us go back to to that moment where you realized that you had the entrepreneurial bug because buy was not your first endeavor. Yeah. Well, first off, uh, nobody exhibits more courage than Aaron and I give him a lot of props. Mm -hmm. And uh, my backstory is not nearly as heroic as that. Um, You know, Liz, I think the entrepreneur thing was just in my blood. If you ask my mother, she'll tell you all the instances where I may have had a pencil club as a youngster in, a, in elementary school, and I was figuring out a way to make a business out of that. Uh, but for me, you know, when I graduated college, I knew that I, I kind of wanted to get into the coffee industry. And I pride myself now, a lot of years later, having never uh, really gotten a paycheck from a company. So I always created things. And if they sold, I made money. If they didn't sell, I didn't make money. And there was plenty of times I didn't make money. But regardless, I was always on the path that I knew I was supposed to be on. So it wasn't like this moment like, oh, I'm sick of being in banking. I want to be an entrepreneur. It was just in my blood. And it was natural for me to take those risks. I very much enjoyed the journey. And it was never about the money. So even on those failed businesses, a lot of which I talk about in the book, I I, I get a lot of learning from that and a great deal of pride having gone on those journeys as much as the buy journey. Yeah, we'll get to the book in a moment, but uh, I need to hear about the Pencil Club. Seriously, I, I really want to know how old you were and what happened. Well, next week, I'll, I'll let you book my mother on the show, and she can tell you, like a good Jewish mother, she'll give it to you with, the, with all the, uh, uh, the ins and outs. Honestly, uh, I don't remember. She actually owns that story, um, and I'm half believing it's true, but apparently she says, I used to have a, a Pencil Club. I used to, you know, sell tickets to shows at school. I mean, I always was around business. Um, you know, my family, my mother was an earner. She was a real estate agent. And uh, for her whole career, she, my parents got divorced young. So she was a breadwinner. Uh, she, that rubbed off on me. So, you know, this whole idea that you go out and, you know, earn your way was instilled in me through my parents. My father was an entrepreneur. So I guess it was in the environment of, entrepreneurism, but I, I argue it's just, it's in my blood. It, it somewhat comes natural to me. You mentioned you wanted to start a coffee business. Go back to your first effort. How old were you? Where'd you get the idea? And how did it begin? What was that first step you took? Well, I, I often give my mother, uh, as you can see, I might be a mom as well. Uh, <laughs> I give her a lot of credit because she used to give me kisses and she was one of those women who drink coffee at night before she went to bed and wouldn't keep her up. And uh, I'd half be sleeping, you know, when she got home, uh, making sure she got home safe at night. 
and she'd give me that that kiss goodnight and I'd smell the coffee on her breath. And I and I truly believe that left an imprint on me as a young kid. And then when she told me one day, uh, you should go to Montreal, there's this great cafe that just opened up. And I was in college. This is in the early 90s before Starbucks became Starbucks. And um, I went to look at this this roaster cafe in Montreal and the smell, I could smell it today of walking in that that store and the fresh roasted coffee and all the burlap sacks of coffee beans there. I just, it just, I got attached to the, the, the industry. And then, uh, you know, one thing led to another and I just started to travel Europe and experience the coffee culture. And I just wanted to open up a coffee shop in New York City. It was a very modest beginning, uh, but that was 25 years ago. And, you know, that long and windy road took me ultimately in and out of coffee, but always around beverage throughout my career. And, you know, then I I had the idea of, hey, you know, this coffee fruit thing gets, you know, discarded. You know, people don't know that coffee was a fruit. I felt like it was the evolution of uh, vitamins. And at the time, vitamin water was all the rage. So I wanted to make an antioxidant drink. And I wanted to use a pretty cool and relevant way of delivering those antioxidants. That was coffee fruit. Give me your first failure before buy. Oh, my God. I've had a lot of failures. I'm actually proud of my failures. Um, I, I had a, I had a product. Probably my worst failure was a product I called Booster Shot, which was uh, an energy <laughs> an energy additive, which was mistake number one. That went into handmade drinks and it gave you energy. And you know the problem. There was a variety of reasons why that failed, but I believe the one big reason it failed is I never believed in the product. I created it. I didn't use it. Um, you know, I was just talking to somebody today about buy and they say, do you still drink it? And I, I, I get like weekly deliveries of buy from Amazon and they go, do you pay for it? I go, yeah, full price. I paid, I'd pay more for it because I know what it's worth, but that's a product that I drink. My kids drink. I mean, I was a, an evangelist of the, in most products I create, I am an evangelist of it. That one, not so much. And, and when your founder is not an evangelist and or a user of the product, I'd say it has no shot. All right, you've got to believe in it and you've got to have yeah. the passion. But I'm I'm actually envisioning you in that coffee bar in Montreal yeah. and smelling the coffee and having it hit you in your cortex in some type of way that indicated this is what I really am passionate about and yeah. what I could really pursue. And they say, I think it is true, that the sense of smell is the most evocative of memories. So I you'll be walking past something, some plant at the age of 54, and it, you'll be brought back to summer camp from 1972, yep. you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so that seems to be what, what became a driver for you. Yeah. I that's fascinating. You know, I dedicated the book to my mother's coffee breath kisses. So apparently <laughs> it does leave a, a lingering effect. And, yeah. and, you know, it doesn't seem... Uh, you know, now that Howard Schultz has done his thing and Starbucks has made coffee ubiquitous in life, uh, it doesn't seem as romantic as it was at the time. Uh, but I truly found like this kinship with coffee. And I thought that I was going to be Howard. I mean, I didn't know who he was at the time, but, uh, you know, I thought one, do it right. And once, and then just scale it up. And I thought there was, you know, an opportunity there and thank God, because I don't think I'm a, a retail guy, but, um, he did a fantastic job on it, though. I'm a fan of buy, and I see the word antioxidant 
course, I found it because you came on the show and I'm thinking, whoa, what is this? And what I loved about it was nearly zero sugar. But in 2009, it almost seems like people weren't constantly hunting out the word antioxidant or less sugar. They'd buy Diet Coke. That was certainly Mm. hot. But what you did was completely different. How did you create it in your basement? Take me back down those stairs into that basement. Well, listen, at the time, to be fair, you're right, Liz. I mean, the first rendition of Bi had 17 grams of sugar and 70 calories per serving. Mm. So I leaned on sugar as much as the next the next guy in beverage. Um, and then I would do a lot because at 17 grams and 70, you got a lot of choices in a sea of labels. You can go a lot of places with that. And when I would do my samplings at what I call the point of thirst, like as a young entrepreneur, I'd make the delivery. I'd write up an invoice. I set up a, a folding table outside. I talked to customers. And what I, I learned at the point of thirst was that people were starting to read the back of these labels, that they were looking for sugar content. And that quite frankly, they didn't care about the coffee fruit story, although it was relevant to me. And I thought it was like kind of this aha moment. Most people were just confused and or alienated by that. So I kind of didn't lead with coffee fruit. We put that on the back of the label. But what they did, what I did notice is that they trusted the word antioxidant. I don't think they knew what an antioxidant was or why it was good for them, but they trusted the word. It was like this bridge of trust. And I get them by using that word to sample the drink you know, with some stranger as they're walking by, which was me. And so I, I, I saw great value in the antioxidants. I didn't see the value in the source of the delivery of those antioxidants, which is the coffee fruit. But I said, we need to get the calories and the sugar out of this drink. And well, we formulated using, and this is where I like to say, we kind of just stumbled upon what I call the answer to the diet dilemma. We figured out how to make low calorie taste really great and robust without using artificial sweeteners. Because although people were running from sugar, they were also running from artificial sweeteners. Oh yeah, sweet, low, equal. They wanted to just get it out. Done. No more chemicals. Yeah. And we got there and that's where Bai's trajectory kind of went like this. Um, And that's all just spending time with your brand as a young entrepreneur in front of consumers at the point of thirst. And what I call, I always call this affectionately, I call this year zero, Liz. It's, it's, you know, listen, in year seven, eight, nine, you don't need a guy like me running the company as evidenced by what, you know, Dr. Pepper. Um, But in year zero, I like to say I'm the king of year zero. I'm crazy enough and persistent enough to sit in front of consumers. And there's always, I always say there's three or four pivots that every young brand has to make in year zero. Cause you don't come out of the gate and nail it. It just doesn't happen that way. So usually you make those three or four pivots. One of which for us was burying coffee fruit into the back of the label, um, leading more with antioxidants, taking the sugar out. Those are big pivots that I made. The difference is I made it, no one was looking. It was me, my dad, a chunk of my car in Princeton, a couple of local um, establishments. And maybe we'll talk about it, but today with Crook and Marker, we were able to launch nationally, but you still have to go as an Mm -hmm. entrepreneur, you still have to go through year zero. It's great to go through year zero when no one's looking now. And that's what we did at Buy. Let me get back to coffee fruit. Yeah. So this is the ingredient in buy. And this is something that up until you was thrown out. 
It was the part of the coffee plant that people didn't need. They took the bean and this was, let's just chuck it. You know, to look at that and say, uh, I've often wondered, honestly, Ben, um, who was the first person to crack open an egg and say, I bet if we heated this thing, it would taste good. Yeah. How do you know? Yeah. How did you look at that and say, maybe that can make something out of this? Yeah. Well, A, I don't think it tastes that good. It's quite bitter, to be honest with you. So it wasn't like you were going to eat the coffee. We had to use it and almost disguise the taste. Um, it was being right. used in nutraceuticals for cosmetics, for anti-aging. So it was being used randomly uh, in that industry. We were the first one to say, hey, not only how can we use it in a beverage, but more importantly, looking back now, how do you commercialize something that has no route to market? First of all, coffee is grown in faraway places. Like we yes. bought all our coffee from Indonesia. So we had to get the product from Indonesia in an extract form, stable to you know New Jersey, where we would manufacture it. That whole process, when the stuff normally just gets thrown away, didn't exist in a scalable way. So when we were becoming a hundred, two hundred, three hundred million dollar business, you know, I was still buying coffee fruit from the same guy, you know, farmer in Indonesia. So it posed challenges from from day one. And quite frankly, I always say, you know, entrepreneurs do what they do for the moments. It's not mm -hmm. for the money, it's for the moments. Along the journey, you have a moment. And during that moment, everything just makes sense. And it just gives you enough kind of uh, motivation to keep going. But well, I had a, a lot moment. of down moments. I know oh, that. Is, I've spoken to a, enough entrepreneurs where they had their head in their hands and they're sobbing. I mean, Kind, the founder of Kind Bars was telling us, Daniel, he said, Liz, I, I, the day, you know, the day that I looked at this, I thought this is going to fail, you know, and it didn't, but he kept well, I, battling I, it and yeah, fighting. For I never the, thought I'd I never thought it would fail, but my hands are in my head right now, Liz. I got to be honest with you. We, we are starting over again with Crook and Marker, but that you deal with. I never. I am so tethered to the vision of whatever I'm doing that I never see failure as an option, but those moments keep you going. And I had a moment after buy was sold, just sitting on a couch with my son a couple of months ago, and all of a sudden a commercial for, for buy came up and it was John Legend, right? Who... You have this big superstar who I don't know, who was hired by people at by, uh, DPS who I don't know, singing about coffee fruit. And you, you, you mentioned coffee fruit. And I was blown away because coffee fruit was just an idea. And now John Legend singing about it. And I thought that was pretty cool. That's a moment. But I was also very proud that Dr. Pepper continues to use coffee fruit in the drink. I would have bet they would have taken it out because it is not – it's not an easy ingredient to source. And you could replace it with something else. Um, quite frankly, I thought that they would have done that, but they stuck to it. And I give them a lot of credit. And John Legend's singing about it. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we'll be right back. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations, 
or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. You sold it to Dr. Pepper Snapple uh, for more than a billion dollars when you finally developed it. And I still, as you keep jumping ahead, because I know your mind probably speeds along. It's okay. I, I need to get to the point where you were rejected as you tried to get it on shelves. Well, the whole journey is about rejection, right? So that, I mean, we got rejected throughout. And, you know, I always say you have this great vision of whatever you're doing. And then it's about how much of it gets marginalized along the journey, because no one's rooting at that time for buy. Maybe you were when you ran into it at Target, which I love, but, you know, the industry is set up to sell a lot of other things, right? Mm -hmm. Specifically soda, right? So the infrastructure that is set up to get your product, what I call the route to market from point A to point B and all these stores there, you you know, you have to align with a soda manufacturer in order to get there. They own the route to market. So it's kind of ironic that you need to align with the very people you're looking to disrupt. And the whole journey is about rejection. It's about everybody either intentionally or unintentionally marginalizing your idea. And you have to have a fight in you. And that's, you know, we use that word a lot, evolution and fighting and all this. And it's not about punching someone in the nose, but it's about you can't marginalize my idea. Either you're going to see what I see or I got to push you out of the way and we're going to kind of do without you. Buy was founded during a recession. And now your new venture, Crook and Marker, is really coming, hopefully, no pun intended, to fruition during a very difficult time for this country. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Talk about Crook & Marker. This is an organic alcohol brand. You have spiked and sparkling seltzer, lemonade, spiked tea, spiked soda. Tell us about this new endeavor. Yeah. So, Liz, uh, I've personally never seen growth like like I'm seeing in the hard seltzer category, you probably see it. Uh, you might drink it. Um, it's you know. I like, I like Mike's hard lemonade. I did yeah. try White Claw, and I was like, Ugh, right. no, I don't. Like we this. have to. We have to get you our lemonade, which has zero sugar, infinite flavor, and it's <laughs> okay. all organic. Well, I'll be we a are gonna make that, We're gonna make that happen. But what happened in 2017, which is which is unique, and this is why I'm in this industry again, is the millennial. Demographic, the 80 million strong, all became of legal drinking age in 2017. So that demographic who buy as long as well as a lot of other great better for you beverages kind of formed a new drinking uh, habit, right? They don't drink their sugar. They don't want to drink their calories. They took those habits into alcohol. 
So you've had you had just this tsunami of consumers say, you know what, I disrupted soda. I wasn't going to drink soda. Now I'm kind of disrupting beer uh, for similar reasons. Um, you give them flavor, you give them variety, and you give them transparency, and they become very loyal, and they will even pay a premium if they see it's worth it. They didn't see that in beer. They ran from beer, and emerged was hard seltzer. And hard seltzer for me, or seltzer as a category in the non-alc space, was always a bellwether. For me, people don't run to seltzer. They run away from bad ingredients and sugar. And seltzer is just really a safe place. I call it a safe haven where people go until they find flavor that they can trust. So they kind of park themselves in seltzer. And we saw this happening. We knew it was going to actually it's still happening. I'm looking beyond that. And I'm looking to crack the code at what happens when people get bored of seltzer. Ben, and for me, you are now having taken on the, the Coke and Pepsis of the world and then ultimately purchased by Dr. Pepper, you're now taking on the Anheuser-Busch's of the world and the big boys in hard and sparkling seltzers, et cetera. Uh, I need to know, have you gotten pushback or have you developed such a tough skin from having put together by that you now know it's like water off a duck's back. You guys can try and kill us. It ain't going to happen. Liz, I think you know the answer to it. I think you answered it. I have very tough skin and we get pushback every day. Really? And I love the pushback. I mean, that's motivation for us. Someone once asked me in the previous life, in the non-alk side, would you, be so, would you be so into it if the industry wasn't so broken? And it was a great question because that's what I think of every day. It's, it's like you think of the consumer when you make the product, but then it's about the journey from the product to the shelf. And that is, that's the fight. That's always going to be a fight because, you know, they're set up to do other things. And, you know, I still have to prove myself. Yeah. Just because we had a successful product in a different category doesn't mean that, you know, Cook and Marker automatically nailed it or is going to have that type of success. We don't come in here with that expectation. We feel like we're at the starting line with every other young brand. Um, and that's where we are really good. We just know how to operate in year zero and one and two. So you're starting this company, you're charging ahead, and then it's, hey, let me write a book. And I love this because people yeah. who constantly say, oh, I'm so busy, I have no time to work out, or I've, you know, I've got kids, so do you. And by the way, your wife, Dana, she helped you yeah. co-found buy, correct? Yeah, so absolutely. you both are working and constantly developing, and we yeah. all have issues. But you also took on this project to put the book together. Why? So listen, the book for me was therapy. Um, I use the word fight a lot. The reality is my fight is, is that I, I attach myself to a dream. And along the way, you find yourself dreaming along some extraordinary, alongside some extraordinary people. And those people are the reason why we were successful. But you also find yourself dreaming for a lot of people. And that's exhausting. And after seven or eight years of doing that, I didn't realize how tired I was. And my, one of my closest friends who wrote the book, Eric Quinones, uh, and I would sit down and have just conversations that he would tape. And he would interview me. And in interviewing me, it was therapeutic. It gave me, I always knew that I would ultimately tether myself to a new dream. I just didn't have the energy to do it. 
And through the, the book, the process, I found renewed energy because I started to really appreciate me. I never knew, I never knew I was anything special, quite frankly. I was just a guy who was like, good luck trying to convince him his idea is not a good one. But I didn't, you know, there were always smarter people. There were always more creative people around me. And I think that's one of my talents is I surround myself by great people. But I also understand how important that mentality is to a startup. You need a founder that people look at sideways sometimes. That dude's like, really? Did you just say that? Do you really believe that? And with conviction, I can, I can say yes. You know, and that is very critical to any new business. And that's the role I played amongst others. But that is, that is why, you know, because I look at the, sometimes Liz, I look at the cooler and I'm like, why buy? There's a lot of great brands out there that have better presence, that have better shelf space, that, that caught the attention of the distributor better. But why buy? And I truly believe because buy wasn't going to stop. Like my vision wasn't going to end and they knew it. And I needed to align with somebody who can make it bigger than I can make it myself. And that's why we sold. Well, you know, they say you just can't keep a man down who just won't quit or a woman when you, yeah. when you won't quit and you just keep going, how can they bring you down? They cannot, and you've got yeah. to continue to fight. And that's exactly what you've done. Is there not a mistake, but an error or something from which you learned while you were launching by where you said, okay, I'm not going to make that mistake again, that you now know and will not do as you put together your newest company. What, what was that mistake? <laughs> I always say uh, 50% of the decisions I make are wrong. I mean, it's not, they're a mistake. <laughs> I don't know if there was one, well, uh, one big mistake early on was putting sugar in the drink and or thinking coffee fruit was as relevant to others as it was to me. It's not about those decisions. It's about the decisions you make to repair those decisions and how quickly you make them. And it's, I was your second shot at it. And I'm good the second time around. I'm not afraid to fail. I'm not afraid to make bad mistakes. Uh, I'm impatient. I always feel like the next buy is in someone else's basement. I'm making mistakes every day at Crook and Marker. But if you truly believe in your product and what's in the bottle or in the can here at Crook and Marker, and if it's truly different from the competition, the product could survive those mistakes. Just don't make the same mistake twice. I couldn't agree more. Everybody makes mistakes. But they also say, my dad, they, my dad was they. Um, he's <laughs> gone now, but he used to say, Liz, a wise man or a wise woman learns not just from their own mistakes, but from the mistakes of others. So yes, learn from your own mistakes, but watch and look at what other people are doing and then avoid doing that so you don't have to do it yourself. It's so true. Right? The difference is I my career was a, you know, an ebb and flow of businesses that were successful and failed. Yeah. So I always say it buy came in a time I was the right entrepreneur at the right time with enough experience both winning and losing to to handle this big opportunity. And and I just didn't step in the big potholes that most entrepreneurs do because Liz, the, the beverage industry has no barrier to entry. I mean, anybody can get in. It's what's beautiful about it. What's risky is that it you have a lot of entrepreneurs. And I always say there's a graveyard of great brands that just fell into the pothole. And once you get into one or two of those, you can't get out. You're, you're now, you know, you're so deep that good luck. Uh, so I just avoided them. 
so I hung around long enough. I was persistent long enough. I was crazy enough uh, to attach myself to a vision that nobody saw originally, but they started to come around and it worked. The book is called Base Mentality, and it focuses on the success of buy, which I love the Ipanema. Yeah. Is that the Ipanema pomegranate? That's my favorite. Yep. Yep. I've been drinking that since I met you years. And I'm so thrilled to see your development and to follow you on all of this and to share your story with our viewers and our listeners because it's inspirational. And we Uh, just want people to listen to these and say, well, wait a minute. Benjamin Weiss did it. I can do it too, (laughs) darling. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, my mother. Uh, Oh, listen, it's great to hear that your mom is your inspiration. You know what, Liz, though, I'm glad you said that because I always felt my success is attainable. There's no MBA. Um, I don't have, you know, experience in a difficult industry like technology that, you know, I haven't cracked any codes other than I saw a very vulnerable marketplace um, that was ripe for disruption. I happen to have a great product, which does a lot of the heavy lifting in those situations, but I was... I brought enough fight to the game. And, you know, if you surround yourself by great people, you have a great product and you got a little edge to yourself and you, you attack a vulnerable market, you know, this, this could happen. Ben Weiss, please come visit us when this whole nightmare is over. Come on the show. We'll take you on Skype. It's such a great story. Good luck with Crook and Marker. And of course the book base mentality. And as always, thank you for developing a drink that didn't, have sugar in it. My gosh. Finally, that was healthy and wasn't all punched up with fake stuff. So we're thrilled for you. And you are one of the good guys in this world. Thank, thank you, Ben. And Liz, thank you for fueling the Bevolution. I know how much of an avid band by fan you were and continue to be as I am. And thank you for having me on your show back then. And thank you for having me today. You got it. All right. Spread the word about everyone talks to Liz, telling these inspirational stories like Ben's and so many others. We so appreciate everybody tuning in week after week. And and I just want to help people see you have it within you. And sometimes you need to see that somebody else did it. Somebody else who faced just as, as huge mountains to climb or problems, maybe sometimes even worse. And they were able to do it. Thank you so much for joining us. And as always, I'm there 3 p.m. Eastern on the Fox Business Network for the Clayman Countdown. Thank you. You want to talk. It took me, what, 20 years of fighting to finally get a show that had my name in it. So, you know, every journey begins with one step and just don't quit, you guys. Ben, thanks. And uh, thanks to all of you. And we will see you next time. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.